All right, good morning, friends. How are you today? Awesome. If you're watching us online this morning, we're so glad you're joining us wherever you are, whether you're watching on our Facebook Live page, our website, if you're in the concourse, if you're seated at a table out there, we're just so glad you're here this morning. Uh, as you saw, we're continuing a series that we've been doing here for a number of months called That's a Great Question. And what we do in this series is we take a question that's related to a cultural topic or a biblical concept, and we answer that question uh, on that weekend. Uh, there's, there's three purposes for this series. Number one, if you're already a Christian, our hope is that you would grow deeper in your knowledge of the Bible so that, number two, you can step into conversations with people in your relational world about these cultural issues or about biblical concepts and share with them what you believe from a biblical perspective. And number three, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we're, we're hoping and praying that these messages would bring you one step closer to fully surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And the question we're answering today is, what, what is a Christian's perspective or a Christian perspective on suicide? Sensitive topic. Let's pray for God's wisdom this morning. Lord, help us as we, uh, as we address this issue of suicide. Uh, Lord, that your heart would come through, your heart for people, uh, your heart for life. Pray, Father, that you would use me this morning to communicate your great love and your great hope that you want to give to us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In 2000, I accepted a call at a church in northern Illinois in a rural community. Uh, the very first week I showed up, I was called out to a farm out in the country and met a farmer's wife who was completely devastated. She had gone out that morning into the barn and found that her husband had taken his life completely devastated, devastated the church community as I walked back there very first week. Uh, July 4th, 2004, I got a phone call from a really good friend of mine that, that used to be my next door neighbor. And he said that his dad had taken his life that day. His dad was a significant part of our church. He was involved in children's ministry. He had a great ministry, great love. People loved him. And suddenly he's gone. Most of us probably know someone that's taken their life or died by suicide, and it's devastating. And it leaves us with a feeling of both sadness and guilt. We, we ask the question, what, what could I have done differently to prevent this or to stop this? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And the, the answer to that question is nothing, because we can't control the decisions that other people make. And some of you today, the, the whole purpose of this may be just to let that go. Just to let go the weight and the sense of responsibility that you could have done more, you could have done something else in order to prevent that without realizing that people make choices. And they don't always consult us on those choices. The cause of suicide is psychological suffering. Um, a gentleman that we're going to look at a quote in just a minute coined the phrase, um, psych ache, psych ache. He explains. Psych ache is the hurt, anguish, or ache that takes hold in the mind. It's intrinsically psychological. The pain of excessively felt shame, guilt, fear, anxiety, 
loneliness, angst, dread of growing old or dying badly. Suicide happens when the psychic is deemed unbearable and death is actively sought to stop the unceasing flow of painful consciousness. I want to ask three questions this morning, and I want to give what I hope are biblical answers to those questions. And, I, and my hope is this morning that, that answering those three, these three questions will help you form a biblical worldview about this topic of suicide. The first question is this. What is the ultimate source of suicidal thoughts? Where do they come from? What's the ultimate source of suicidal thoughts? Now, secular psychology will point to depression and mental illness, trauma, chronic pain, uh, a feeling of hopelessness, shame, guilt, and the list goes on. The Bible deviates a little bit from that cause or that source of suicidal thoughts. The Bible recognizes Satan's influence on those symptoms. In other words, that, that Satan and demonic uh, forces work through depression, work through mental illness, work through chronic pain, work through a sense of hopelessness, work through shame, and work through guilt. Secular psych psychiatry isn't going to recognize the force of unseen spiritual powers on this issue, but, but the Bible does. The, the Bible recognizes there's a force behind the things that we See that caused this particular problem. The Bible teaches that every one of us, as we were born into the world, was born with a God-given purpose. Uh, you have a destiny that God created for you. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this. David says to God, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. David says, God, you formed me. God, you made me. God, you knit me together with a divine purpose for my life. God has a sense of mission. God has a destiny. God has a calling. When, when God was forming you as a person in your mother's womb, there was a destiny written over your life. You, you have a, a unique purpose that God wants you to fill. Satan's mission in the world is to steal that purpose. Satan's mission, Satan's mission is to destroy that purpose, to rob you of that purpose. So Jesus comes along and Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy your life, to destroy your purpose. What is his mission? What, if his, what is his motive? To, to take from you the God-ordained destiny, the God-ordained purpose, the reason for which you were created, to take that from you and to replace it with a different one. But Jesus said, I have come in opposition to Satan. I've come that you might have life, even life to the full, meaningful life, a purpose-filled life a destiny that's rewarding, a life that's fulfilling. So you see the two different missions. The mission of Satan, the evil one, is to kill, steal, and destroy, to take from you what God ordained for you. Jesus' mission is to give life. He's the author of life. He's the sustainer of life, the giver of life. So you see the two uh, operations in these two kingdoms. One is to kill you, 
rob you, destroy you. The other is to give you life, give you purpose, give you meaning, and give you a sense of destiny in your life. In, in um, next scripture, if you put that up there for me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says this to Christians, be of, of a sober spirit, be aware, be alert. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour or kill. Again, Peter says it in a little different terms, but he's saying the same thing. Be conscious that Satan is trying to devour your life. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who were oppressing the Jews spiritually. And he says this, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a what? Murderer from the beginning. What is his nature? To kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What is Satan doing? He's planting thoughts in your mind that are contrary to God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan for your life. He's trying to lead you in a direction opposite of what God wants you to do. God wants you to have life, abundant life, full life, fulfilled and meaningful life. Satan doesn't. So Satan's going to try to mentally pull you away from everything that God intends for your life. So wouldn't we expect to see that in the Bible with people if that was true of Satan? And that's exactly what we see. So we go into the Old Testament. We see King Saul was afflicted with an evil spirit. And before King Saul died in battle, he took his own life, committed suicide. We go to, to Mark chapter 5, and we look at the story of, of a man that Jesus encountered who was full of demons. As Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee, here's what we read in Mark chapter 5. Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea into the region of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs, cemetery, with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs and no one was able to bind him or control him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces as this man operated in this demonic power and demonic strength. Nobody could control him. They chained him up and he broke the chains in this supernatural strength. Constantly, now listen how this is described. Constantly, night and day, this demon-possessed man was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones, cutting himself. He was a cutter self-harm, trying to hurt himself. Now, God was somehow protecting him from killing himself, but he was simply harming himself in this demon-possessed state. Now, let's skip down a few verses and see how the story ends. There was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. The demons knew that Jesus was about to cast them out of this man. So they said, just cast us into the pigs then. Jesus gave them permission. Coming out of the man, the unclean spirits, more than one, entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. Imagine how many demons were inside this guy. 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. 
why is that part of the story in here? Like, you ever think about that? Like, why didn't it stop with Jesus cast the demons out of the guy, the guy was healed, the guy's life was turned around. He actually became a missionary. He went and preached the gospel to his oikos. I mean, it was a great story. Why do we need to know about demon-possessed pigs running off a cliff? Because it gives us a picture of the mission of Satan. His Satan, his mission to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what they wanted to do to this man. And that's what they want to do to you. They want to push you over the edge. They want to push you to destruction, self-destruction. They want to push you to the point where you see, you see no purpose for living. You see no meaning in life, no fulfillment in life. And you think that the best thing to do is just end it. That's what they'd love for you to do. So again, we see Satan's influence on people's lives throughout the Bible. We go to Matthew chapter 17. A man brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. When, when, they, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and his disciples and knelt before him. And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. He, he, he falls into the fire where food is being cooked or he falls into a pond or into a river or something. Why? These demons are trying to kill him. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him, the man said, the father said. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. This wasn't just a physiological disease. It was driven by a demon. He rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. He's constantly being pushed into the fire, into the flame to kill him. Why? Satan's mission is what? To kill, steal, and destroy our lives. One more. You, you know of Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke chapter 22 tells us this. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called the Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan did what? Entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. Not long after that, Matthew tells us in Matthew 27 this, then Judas threw the silver coins down in front of the Jewish leaders in the temple and went out and hung himself. So we see, we see Satan continually pushing people toward death. People, Satan filling people's minds with the thoughts that, that, that this life isn't, isn't worth it in some way. I may as well just, just take my own life. See, see, suicide is Satan's attempt in our lives to get us to follow his purpose instead of God's purpose. To get us to follow him instead of following God. And he will use all of those things we talked about, depression. And there can be biological depression, chemical depression in your life. There, there can be grief and heartache and a sense of hopelessness in your life. And Satan will use all of that and deceive you into believing that life is not worth it. You might as well just give up and stop now. So, so the first question is, um, what's the ultimate source of suicidal thoughts? And I would suggest that Satan is behind much of that. Second question is, do people who die by suicide go to hell? That might be the, the, the question most people are asking related to suicide as Christians. 
Does suicide mean that you go to hell? Is that an automatic thing? Well, let's start with the issue of salvation for a moment. We are saved by grace, not by living perfect lives. We are constantly tempted to sin, and, and we regularly sin. We fall in sin. When we, when we sin, we don't forfeit our salvation. It's covered by the grace of God. When we sin, it doesn't mean that we fall in and out of salvation. People deal with addictions and people deal with ongoing sins all the time. And every time they fall into that temptation, they don't lose their salvation. So it's possible that someone who believes in Jesus Christ could surrender to the agony of mental illness, depression, or the feeling of hopelessness and take their life and go to heaven, not because of their works, because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're not saved by works of the law, we're saved by grace. So it's possible that someone could take their life and go to heaven. It's also possible that suicide could be evidence that someone doesn't know God. It's also possible that suicide could, could be an evidence that someone doesn't have faith in God, that someone doesn't believe that God could change their circumstances, that someone doesn't have the hope of the Holy Spirit in them, that some, someone doesn't have the power of God's Spirit working in their life. It's, it's possible that a person, when they commit suicide or die by suicide, that might be an evidence of the absence of God in their life. We are saved by grace and not by work. It's a, it's a complicated question and one that only God can answer. Only God can see into the human heart. Only God knows whether there was a genuine relationship with Christ in that person's life or there was not. We, we can wish for that. We can hope for that. We can see that they went to, we, but we, ultimately we, we don't know. So does suicide automatically send someone to hell? Absolutely not. You can be a Christ follower and eventually give in to the, the agony and suffering of mental illness, depression, anxiety, grief, and all of those things. Number three, what should prevent us from suicide? What should prevent us, especially as Christians, from suicide? The first thing is this, our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies don't belong to us. They actually belong to God. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, Paul says this, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Your, your body is the house as a Christian that houses the Holy Spirit. It's a temple. God says, you are not your own. You are not your own. Other verses, Paul says, you were bought with a price. I love what Rick Warren says about this concept. Rick Warren, founding pastor of Saddleback Church in California. He says this, my body is God's property, not mine. I don't own it. God does. He created my body. And he expects me to use it the way he intended for it to be used. Now, we naturally rebel against this idea. 
Our culture teaches us, my body is mine to do whatever I want to do with it. Well, park suicide for a second. Let's think of other cultural issues like abortion. It's my body to do whatever I want with it. I can treat my body. Don't tell me how to treat my body. Scripture says it's not your body. Let's go on. But God says, no, you're wrong. It's not your body because you didn't create it. I made it and I loaned it to you to live in while I put you on the earth and I expect you to take care of my creation. You are living in a rental home. You don't own it. God gave it to you to live in and to take care of it. And now the Holy Spirit also lives in there. I honestly believe that we are going to be held accountable for what we did with our bodies how we treated our bodies, how we stewarded this temple that God gave to us. It's on loan, friends. The body is so important to God that when we die and when we become dust, we are resurrected. That body gets resurrected into a new body. That's how important important the body is to God. You don't own it. He does. So this idea that I can do whatever I want, I can kill it, well, that's just not true. It's not, that's not a biblical perspective. God created it, God gave it to you, and God expects you to steward it in a Christ-honoring way. Sexually, with the food that we eat, the exercise or lack of exercise, God expects us to take care of the body that he's given to us. The second thing is, suicide devastates the people we love. What should prevent us from suicide? Well, number one, it's not your body, it's God's. Number two, suicide devastates the people that we love. Why do people take their life? Because they're weighed down with heartache and sadness and confusion and guilt and shame and anything else that goes in this box and makes life really heavy. And so you carry this box long enough And it gets really tiring. And you say, I don't want to carry this anymore. I'm tired with it. And so you say to yourself, I'm going to get rid of the pain. And if I take my life, the pain's going to go away. Well, that's not true. None of this goes away. All that happens is it gets transferred to someone else. So you say, you know what, dude? I'm tired of this. Here you go. It's yours. Someone you love, someone you care about, you just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you, and now, and now you can carry it. The people that we love, what should prevent suicide in our lives? Realizing that we are, we are simply shifting the weight to someone else that does not have the capacity to carry that. They can barely deal with their own problems. They can barely deal with their own guilt. And now you're going to give them yours? You're going to add to the issues in their life? Instead, what should happen? Well, Peter tells us, cast all of your cares on him, the only one that can bear it. In your suffering, in your grief, in your anxiety, in your depression, you, you take all of this and you keep, you keep casting it on the one that had the strength to endure the cross. The only one that can carry this, Jesus Christ. 
But instead, you want to leave it with people that you love the most and people that love you the most. You want that to be your legacy? And the third thing is, in terms of why we sh what should prevent us from, from suicide, it's this, suicide rejects, I'm sorry, is never God's will. Suicide is never God, it's never, ever, ever, ever God's will. It's contrary to the very nature of God. It's contrary to the mission of God. It's contrary to the purpose of God. He's the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the redeemer of life, the author of life. Satan is the one that's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God gives life. It's never God's will, ever, to take your life. It's only and always sin to take your life. So, so suicide rejects the very law of God, the very word of God, the, the intentions of God as revealed in Scripture. Exodus 20, don't murder anybody. Well, suicide is self-murder. Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Suicide neither loves your neighbor or you. So it's a complete violation and rejection of God's law. It's, it's never God's will. It goes against everything he tells us in Scripture. The second thing is it, it, it rejects, suicide rejects the character of God, the nature of God, who we know God to be. It goes against, it says, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's who you are. I, I resist that in my life. So, so who is God? Well, God is revealed in Scripture as the God of peace, the God of all peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. What does God want to do? Even when you're not feeling peace or experiencing peace, he's the God of peace. He wants to give you peace in every circumstance of life. God is the God of hope. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is God's intention? That you experience peace and that you experience hope, that your life has meaning. God is a God of strength. Romans 15, 5, now may the God who gives perseverance, that's the ability to endure. It's the, the ability to overcome. It's the ability to push through all of the difficulties of life. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. God offers the ability, the power, the strength to endure every challenge of life. God is a God of comfort, the God of all comfort. And when, when you're struggling and, and considering suicide, you're not, you're not experiencing comfort. You're not experiencing peace. You're not experiencing hope. You're not experiencing strength. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Suicide is never the will of God. It goes against the law of God and it goes against the character of God. He's the God of all peace. He wants us to experience his peace. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but take courage, I've overcome the world. And in me, you can overcome the world. So as we, as we land the plane, and we, we, let's talk about steps to healing. 
I, I don't know what you're going through today. I, I don't know where you are mentally today. I don't know what you're considering today. I don't know what, what Satan's putting in your mind today, but I do know this. You are so loved by God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you. You, you are so loved. God has this unique purpose for your life, a destiny for your life. He was overjoyed as he was putting you together in your mother's womb, knowing that I have this special, unique purpose, meaning, significance for your life. You are so incredibly loved by God. So incredibly loved by Jesus that he endured the most horrific death possible to save you. That's how valuable you are. Someone told me after the last service that they were, were suicidal. And their mother simply said something to them one day about how, how proud that their father was of them. How much their fa his father loved him. And he said that changed everything. Suddenly I realized my dad loves me. My dad, somebody loves me. He said, I turned the corner. Love makes a difference. You are so incredibly loved by your heavenly father. I, I don't know where, where you are today, but I know this. Suicide isn't God's answer for a hard life. Trusting in Jesus is. That's God's answer, Christ. God wants you to experience his love and hope in a meaningful way through community, like Neil was talking about today. He, he wants you to have people in your life that will pray for you, encourage you, love you, support you, help you, walk with you through these difficult stretches of life. He doesn't want you to cash it in. He wants you to be in community with people that you can love and that will love you. I want to say this this morning. You are not the cause of someone else's suicide. you got to let it go. They had every chance not to take their life but they chose to. You cannot control people's choices. Some of you today, all you need to do is just say, God, I'm letting that go forever. That was their choice, not mine. I wanted them to, to live. They chose to die. And God wants you to walk in freedom today from that, that weight you've been carrying for so long. If you're considering suicide or dealing with suicidal thoughts, please seek help. Find someone that you can trust in your life, that you can talk to about your feelings, a parent, a friend, a pastor. Be willing to get a mental health assessment. And I have to say this, you, you, you probably can't, if you're still struggling and you're a Christian, you probably can't do this by yourself with God. Like if you could have done this, just you and God, if you could have got through this just with God, you'd be through it already. You need help. You need people. You need community to walk through this with you. You probably need professional help in your life. And that's okay to seek it out. You're worth it. You are loved by God and you are loved by this church. Here's the good news. Because Satan and demons influence the symptoms of suicide, it's a spiritual problem working behind a natural problem. Prayer and spiritual warfare makes a difference. Our prayers can actually change the, the mental, psychological condition of people because Satan's trying to fill their minds with lies and we can encourage them in prayer and do spiritual warfare by giving them the truth of who they are in Christ. It's powerful, pulls down the strongholds of darkness. Today we have a resource table in our, in our, our concourse, our hallway out there. And if you are someone that you know is just dealing with these dark thoughts, the thoughts of taking your life, please stop by. There's information there. 
you know, they changed the suicide hotline nationally. It's just now three numbers, 988. Really simple, just 988. Just call, talk to somebody. Come here to church, talk to one of our pastors, talk to someone that can encourage you and get you on the road to healing. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. We have some folks this morning in our prayer chapel that would love to pray with you confidentially. Just, just pray and encourage you and love you. We'll also have some folks up here to pray. Jesus, we thank you for the life that you've given us, as hard as it is. And we recognize this morning that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to deceive and lie to us, telling us our life is worthless, that we're a burden, that there's no meaning or purpose. But Lord, you said just the opposite. I pray everyone this morning, Lord, would walk out of this room feeling the incredible love of Father God in their life, the love of Jesus, the love of the Holy Spirit. It would overflow in their lives and they again would have hope, hope for a different life, a life intimately acquainted with the God of all peace and the God of all hope and the God of all strength and the God of all comfort. God, we want to walk with that God in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.